1: That's audible.com slash WonderyPod or text Pod to 500-500.
0: This episode of Travel Today with Peter Greenberg is brought to you by audible.com, a leading provider of spoken audio information and entertainment. Listen to audiobooks whenever and wherever you want. Sign up today at www.audiblepodcast.com slash travel today to get a free audiobook and 30-day trial. One day Canada, the next day Thailand, then New York, London, you just never know. This week we come to you from... Baja California, sir. When you walk into this hotel, you're in for a surprise. It's a hotel that automatically you realize has a sense of humor, it makes a statement, it has a personality, Uh, and not the kind of hotel that I would have expected to find in Los Cabos this year, let alone when I first came here at the age of 23, Um, and uh, So if you're looking for a different experience and a very interesting experience, this is clearly the place to go. I can't figure out whether it's an art gallery that has hotel rooms or a recording studio where we are right now, by the way, in the basement of the hotel, a fully professional operating recording studio where many, many people have recorded, professional musicians, of course. That also happens to be a hotel. Well, guess what? It's all the above. And the person who runs it is my next guest Ella Messerly, how are you?
3: I'm fine. Thank you. Welcome.
0: But you are a transplant from, of all places, where? Switzerland. Okay. I have to ask the obvious question. What brought you from Switzerland to Mexico?
3: To learn Spanish. I'm still learning 37 years later. Really? Every day, you learn something new in Cabo.
0: But, I mean, when you came here, how long ago? 37 years. Okay. I came here when I was 23. Mm -hmm. Okay? So, a little bit earlier than you, but... When I first came here, it was still very much a sleepy little village. When you got here, it was just a little bit more than a sleepy village. It hadn't really exploded yet.
3: No, not at all. Uh, Not at all, actually. Even 16 years ago, there were only 60,000 inhabitants here. And today? And today there's about 315,
0: 330. And the infrastructure to support them.
3: Of course, as well as the tourism. That's the wonderful thing is that it's it's grown intelligently. It's grown comfortably for, for
0: the for the tourists and for the local people. Okay, you said a very interesting word. You said grown intelligently. How do you grow a location intelligently on one level, which I can understand is infrastructure and environment and, and the balance between the mm-hmm. two. But there's another added attraction here. How do you grow it intelligently when you have your neighbor? to the north talking about building a wall, talking about uh, travel uh, advisories from the State Department that paint certain locations in Mexico as a category four, basically saying do not travel. I've been coming here all these years, decades, I've never felt unsafe.
3: And the people who arrive in Los Cabos do not feel unsafe at all. That's why they keep coming.
0: And a growing expat community of Americans.
3: Definitely, because of the climate. And And, and
0: Canadians, I should say.
3: Yes, North Americans, let's call them, because Mexicans are also North Americans. There are Mexicans retiring here now, which is an interesting thing. But 70% of our tourism is repeat tourism. They have their little secret of coming to Los Cabos, and that's also been our intelligent growth. Because a lot of people are either homeowners or have a vacation property that they use every single year. So that's been the way that slowly but surely we've intelligently grown. Now we're expanding and we're getting tourism from Europe starting to come. There are lots of flights from Europe that go via Mexico City. There's uh, discussions. Even Tijuana. Even Tijuana.
0: People don't realize about the cross-border express Mm -hmm. and that airport is happening. I mean, you can fly from China. Shanghai? Yeah, to Tijuana. Who knew? Yep. Right? We did a story on that place. You know, you drive down to the border in San Diego, you walk across a bridge 800 feet, and you're at the Tijuana airport. You can go anywhere.
3: Exactly. And that is becoming a big attraction for the Asia lift, obviously. And now there are discussions that um, the Germans want to fly direct here. So-
0: and you know what? If they, When the Germans want to do something, chances are they do. But here's my question. In a world where the worst worst four-letter word that starts with F is fear, Mm -hmm. you have a challenge. And the challenge is how to get the word out that you are safe here, that it's not the wild, wild west, and that you know people can really have a great experience here that goes beyond just sport fishing and whale watching. It goes to nature. It goes
3: to lots of things. Getting the word out about Los Cabos and our safety is basically relating all of the different experiences of our repeat travelers of happy uh, honeymooners and wedding people who come, because basically that's what's happening. People are coming and coming more and more to Los Cabos and leaving very, very happy. We have quality surveys at the airport that you'll see, and those ones are readily available. There are um, such an amount of people that leave happily and post, you know, now social media is the big thing. There are only happy things on social media about Los Cabos.
0: And you've upped the game, meaning... Uh, when I first came here, there weren't even a one-star hotel. Now you're doing in the four and the five level.
3: Definitely, and growing more in that category. That is what the demand is for right now. We've got new properties coming on the Pacific coast, here on the East Cape, behind Hotel El Ganso, a few miles up the coast. There's the Four Seasons coming. The Ritz-Carlton is opening this summer, about uh, two miles up the road. So that is the demand of the people that are coming to Los and,
0: If truth be told, this wasn't started as a hotel, was it?
3: No. It was conceived as a cultural center, as a place where minds could meet, as a place where basically think tanks could come. And it turned into a hotel. How? It turned into a hotel because of our location. It turned into a hotel because of the family that uh, the the owner is part of, which is a big development family that, that develops residential and hotels. But his main concept was, this is where I want my friends to create. Come to Cabo's, come to San Jose, come to El Ganso, enjoy, be happy, live the life, and get creative. And you're only 70 rooms. Only. That's what makes it so enjoyable, because you end up meeting all the people that are here, you know all of the employees. You feel basically in a homey atmosphere with all the creature
0: comforts. you know, homey atmosphere, the way I define it, is no two rooms are alike. And that you can say about this hotel. Absolutely. Absolutely. Artists come and a
3: residency program, and intervene on a public wall, and then we let them do what they want in their room. So not any room is the same. (laughs) You realize
0: how dangerous it is to say that. We let you do anything you want in your room.
3: Absolutely, but we have a curator who brings in incredibly high-quality artists, and that makes the hotel evolve. Every time when you come back, I know you will, and anybody who does come back will not find the same Hotel Alianza when they come back. There'll be something new. There'll be something changed, Some color variations, more (laughs) interventions, more musicians, and it also permits the guests to have conversations with creative minds, which is one of the wonderful things you can't have in a museum.
0: Well, the hotels, at least in my book, that not only uh, survive but succeed are the hotels that are good storytellers.
3: Exactly. And our guests are the ones who tell the stories, and story varies every single state.
0: What's the biggest surprise for you having been down here 37 years about Cabo?
3: That Los Cabos still maintains its unique charm of the desert meeting the ocean. That wherever you are in Los Cabos, you always see the ocean. Even though there's growth, you still feel nature here. And you feel this wonder of seeing nature in wintertime. Like right now, it's whale season you still feel very belittled when you see that whale jump out of the ocean. Or like here in front of El Ganso where you see that sea lion going around in the marina and asking for the bait when the fishermen come back. There are still moments of wonder here. It is not at all a developed area where it feels cookie-cutter.
0: Yeah, if you're looking for a cookie-cutter hotel room, this ain't the place to go. Definitely not. But you, have to, you actually have to watch your step here. You do because it's not designed in the traditional way. You have benches where you wouldn't expect to have benches, chairs, floors you don't expect to have floors, steps where you don't have to watch steps. Where we are right now, you have to open a trap door, literally a trap door, and go down a steep stairway into the basement to find this, a fully equipped recording studio. That's because the concept of the hotel was was one big ship.
3: If you look at the rooms in the woods— You do have to step into your room like you would on a ship cabin. You do have to come down into the galley to get to the underground recording studio. We're all in this ship of creatives and of crazies to have a good time. That's the point of Eleganza. And
0: uh, one of the things that you pointed out to me earlier is that all the wood in this hotel came from the original construction site.
3: Correct. It's recycled. We're very keen on being as sustainable as possible while still maintaining comfort levels because that's what will maintain
0: a destination. You know, it's one thing to put a little note on my bed saying, you know, please put your towel over here so we won't wash it again. You know, every hotel does that. And always makes you a little crazy because usually those notes are written on a piece of plastic. But you do more than that here.
3: We do a lot more.
0: I mean, you're going over and above whatever code is. You're saying, you know what? No plastic bottles, no plastic straws. What else?
3: Lots of things. We compost. We recycle. Speaking about the laundry, we use a particular laundry soap that's made from cactus that saves us 80% of our water. Those towels are
0: so prickly. No, I'm kidding. No, no.
3: They come with little cactus things in them. Stop
0: it. Stop it. No, but that's great.
3: That is a revolutionary process made from nature that has helped El Ganso to stop consuming energy. To be able to um, definitely contribute on a sustainability level, but it grows every year we add more things. Like now, the no bottles where we give you your bottle. But last year... That's right. You give
0: me a bottle for my stay.
3: Exactly. That you can refill wherever you are in the hotel. And last year, we went outside of the hotel. Not very far. Just a few steps away from the hotel right behind us, we opened up a community center that is built with 100% recycled materials from our last hurricane two years ago, three years ago. So there we...
0: By the way, some of the art pieces in this hotel are the survivors from the hurricane itself. Correct. In my room, there's a ceiling, a mangled ceiling fan that's now, it's an art installation.
3: Exactly. It was painted by Desmond Mason, who is actually from Chicago and used to be a player at the NBA.
0: Unbelievable. And I should also tell you, this is is an adult-only hotel.
3: Correct. Well, we accept children 18 years and older. As long as they behave.
0: Well, we'll take your pets. What about people who just act like children?
3: They're more than welcome. <laughs> more than welcome. <laughs> but you do work with kids, though.
0: We work with kids
3: intensely because the children are the future, and the children are the ones who will be taking care of little scabbles when we are gone. Right next door to El Ganso on our property, we have El Ganso Community Center, which is a permaculture and art center so that the children have a place to go after school, we bring the artists in residence who are here at El Ganso intervening. A room or a wall are invited to go over. They usually go over. It's part of the deal. They, well, they're not obliged, but they, they love it They go. all go. They all go. They love it. And we teach the children how to eat natural foods, how to eat organic, how to become creative, how to use their minds for other things, which is very important. That is definitely helps for the future. It helps with safety. It helps with a lot of things. And it helps the guests because a lot of the guests go over and help when we're planting. You feel like you're part of a community when you're here.
0: Okay, I've got to ask the question because you didn't come here 37 years ago as a hotelier. I came to learn Spanish. I know. So, How did the transition happen?
3: Tourism is an interesting thing, as I'm sure that you know. It is a very social thing. It is a place where you meet people, where you're asked to do different things all the time. Today it's picking up papers, tomorrow signing checks, the next day it's probably serving drinks because you've got to help out. A hotel that is well run, you do a little bit of everything and you learn a lot, always. But you meet such interesting people. And once you become social, before we had social media, you used to actually talk to people and look at them in the face And the hotel business, tourism in general, is an incredible learning experience, person to person. Something that's being lost all over the world.
0: I couldn't agree with you more. There's there's a hotel in a number of cities now where they actually boast the idea that from the moment you arrive at the hotel, you will not interact with a human being during your entire stay. I'm going. I'm not staying there. That's not the point. Did you
3: notice we don't have name tags? Yeah. At Alianza. there's a reason for that. They have to. We all have to introduce ourselves. We're normal human beings. We do that. When you come to my house, I'll introduce you to my family, to my friends etc. When you arrive at El Ganso, your waiter will say, hi, I'm Ella, and I'm going to be taking care of you. So there you go. You become immediately part of the experience.
0: Something tells you there's not a manual of operations here.
3: Not exactly per se, traditionally. (laughs) Right. But that was the whole point of the name of the hotel, too. El Ganso. Which means? Well, El Ganso is a fork off of Ganso journalism that you are very aware of. Hunter Thompson. If you are continuing on to another Southwest destination, please make sure that you check the monitors inside the terminal for your proper gate and flight information. If you are continuing on with another airline, we really don't care. I am a passenger.
0: I I always like to ask the locals, and my next guest, you can't get more local and you can't get more knowledgeable. (laughs) She's known as the voice of Los Cabos, Claudia Velo. How are you?
2: I'm excellent. I'm happy to have you here in Los Cabos.
0: Yeah, so how did you get that title?
2: Well, see, in Los Cabos there is only one FM radio station, and uh, I happen to have been with that radio station for about nine years.
0: So they haven't found out yet.
2: So they haven't found out yet. (laughs) And, uh, and we didn't have a lot of English programming, and I have been with the station and doing the English programming for that time. Did a daily news segment focusing on local news sure. that are of interest for expats. You know, when you're mo- making that transition from being just a visitor to becoming a permanent resident, sometimes you need more Of course. Inside, and internal. you were
0: once a visitor because you're from Mexico City before you moved here 17 years ago.
2: That is correct.
0: And what brought you here?
2: Work, an opportunity, and uh, I have to say that at first it was such a huge change because before. Mo- Moving to Las Cabos, I had been living in Puerto Vallarta, which is lush and tropical. And coming to this desert-like place was
0: a shock. See, the don't sun was too bright. Is, you know, I used to go to Puerto Vallarta because we did all the interviews there with John Houston. Correct. You know, because the old yeah. sleeping fishing village that I used to hang out in. Um, but coming down here for the first time, when I drove the Baja Highway back in, I hate to tell you this, 1973, <laughs> you, know, you, just, you go down to La Paz and you keep going. And the next thing you know, you're in the desert by the water. You you weren't expecting it.
2: Exactly. And it was so bright and just this openness. When I first arrived, it was a shock. And the first year took a lot of adjustment physically and visually. You get used to this landscape, which is just breathtaking. And here I am 17 years later.
0: And you've seen all the changes.
2: Oh, Yes, I have. I have gone from having to plan my grocery shopping to go to La Paz, driving two and a half hours each way, to now being able to get everything right here.
0: You can source everything now.
2: Everything. And you can even choose whether you want to shop San Jose del Cabo, which is where we are now, or Cabo San Lucas, which is the other little town that is right at the tip.
0: And the infrastructure growth has been phenomenal. And at the same time, you know, it's been respective of the environment.
2: Yes, I mean, a lot of the new developments are really embracing the desert landscape, and that is something that is wonderful to see because that's what makes this area so special, is that desert meeting the ocean that uh, that really makes it so unique.
0: But when you first came down here, the American expats here were sort of a hardy breed because they were pioneering and, and then just hanging out and sport fishing or maybe whale watching. That no, was a, and that was about it.
2: That's a, about it. Uh, a lot of fishing, a lot, a lot of uh, drinking and chatting and just looking at incredible sunsets every day. And I think that's where the no bad days thing came up, you know, because that was the thing with the expats here. Everybody had this bumper sticker that said no bad days.
0: Well, when you consider about your, your number of days of sunshine, uh, the, the thermometer, mm-hmm. you know, you just have to wear a little sunscreen.
2: Oh, all the time.
0: All the time, right? All the time. It's yes. it's 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 sort of like Palm Springs. If Palm Springs had an ocean,
2: yes. It, it reminds me also of Malibu about twenty years ago. No, maybe. no, Malibu
0: about forty years ago. Well, what are yeah, you talking yeah, about?
2: Right, right, <laughs> forty years at, at the seventeen
0: when I first come here. Right, yeah, yeah. exactly. Mm-hmm. What's changing that's surprising you?
2: Um. It's becoming a more cosmopolitan destination. It used to be just this quiet fishing place where where people came to hang out and go to the ocean. Then it started to get more golf courses. And so then we had, you know, the beach lovers and the golf courses. And now there is really something for everybody. There is great food. There are all kinds of activities from just going out and hiking in the desert to zip lining, and there's of course more sports fishing. And you got a huge
0: canopy walk. Oh yes. Oh my God. Yes. Did you do that? I no, but I'm going to. You need
2: to. It yeah. is so much fun.
0: Just don't it's... look. Don't look down.
2: Well, that's the the whole adrenaline thing. It's, As I said, the, it's don't great. look down. <laughs> <laughs> this place has welcomed some of the hottest names in the music industry in Mexico, and uh, it's a place that is kind of like a destination for a lot of the locals.
0: And talking to Claudia Vela, the voice of uh, of Los Cabos, when we last left off, you know, anytime I tell my American friends I'm coming down to Mexico, at least half of them go, be careful.
2: Why are you going?
0: Right? You hear the same mm. thing. Oh, absolutely. And forgetting the whole idea of Donald Trump's wall, uh, forgetting the whole idea of how he started his campaign, calling Mexicans criminals and rapists, I've been coming here literally since I'm 23 years of age. I have never felt unsafe.
2: Absolutely. Absolutely. I have lived in Los Cabos for the last 17 years. I came here with a young child, single mom, and I never felt um, Uh, like I was in any kind of danger of anything happening to us, it used to be, and I'm going to talk back, you didn't even have to worry about locking your doors. Now, of course, you have to take regular measures of safety, um, but it's still very much a safe place. It's not a place where you need to really worry about something happening. And I think whenever you travel, you have to look around, be aware of your environment, and uh, do things that are safe. But having said that, Los Cabos has invested as a destination And the private sector in particular has really put a lot of effort into making sure that this is a place that is safe for our visitors. We know that our visitors are our greatest treasure, and we, of course, want to take care of them.
0: You know, I go back to uh, some natural disasters and hurricanes. I go back to Cancun, and I realized that when they got hit hard uh, by the hurricane— or a hurricane, I should say. There's no such thing as the. <laughs> a. Right. a. Uh They didn't wait for the government. It was the private sector that got in there and said, "Hey, we we're going to rebuild the beach. We're going to put in those big sandbags to retain the to retain the beach. We're going to replant all the palm trees." They did it. They didn't wait for the government. And you've done the same thing here.
2: That's very much what happened back in 2014 with Hurricane Odile. Um, I was, like I said, with Cabo Mill, and we were broadcasting everything the first day right after the hurricane hit. There was no communication no information you were cut off but people were getting together the cleanup effort began and it was the individuals and one of the things that that happened right away was all the expat community all the foreigners that were here contacted the radio station to find out what was going on. And and we became what Cabo used to be many years ago, which was a small community just tightly knit together and working together to make things better.
0: I mean at the end of the day, if you have common ground there's no there's no end to what you can achieve. Exactly. When your friends come to visit you, either from Mexico City or from the States, what's the one thing that surprises them about Cabo?
2: Um I like I said, it's the landscape, the desert meeting the ocean the huge open skies. I mean, when you are here, you realize that the Earth is really round because there are so many places that offer you 270 degree unobstructed ocean views. But then at the same time, the fact that in the middle of all this natural beauty, there is all the comforts and all the luxuries that you have come to expect of high end destinations.
0: Well, in the last couple of years, you have this hotel, El Gans, you have the resort at Pedregal, mm-hmm. right? That's a big deal. Yeah. I mean, that wasn't going to be here 15 years ago.
2: Oh, no. You wouldn't even qualify as a destination for that type of clientele. And that's also something that sets Los Cabos apart. It has grown. At a fast pace, starting back in about 2002, but it has always maintained this commitment to being exclusive and to offering a very high-end, high-value experience for the visitors.
0: And by the way, it's not just Mexican cuisine, which, by the way, happens to be world-class. It's not just, uh, you know, enchiladas. No, no, no. I mean, I go for the Almejas Chocolata.
2: Oh, well. See,
0: now I know about those. You
2: know, you have been coming around. I have long enough that you know.
0: But I've been coming long enough to also know if you want great sushi it's here.
2: It is. Some of I mean one of the best sushi restaurants is here. The chef and owner has been at it for almost 28 years and he learned with the best sushi masters and uh, and he's still here. Everybody loves it. Have the tuna tostadas because they're amazing.
0: Name the restaurant, which one it's is? It's Sun. Nixan,
2: Nixan by Angel Carvajal. It is amazing. It's something that if you are ever in Los Cabos,
0: you want to try. And by the way, if you order the fish there, you know it came in that morning.
2: Oh, yeah. He goes out and fishes every morning. He does? Yeah.
0: See, that's Personally. the cool thing. He's not waiting for some purveyor to send him something that's frozen.
2: No, no, no. And that's quality control all the way
0: through. Wow. Yeah. I still go for the Almeja's Almejas chocolate. And by the way, that's not chocolate clams. It's just chocolate colored clams. Yes. And if it's served with the right amount of garlic, and so, oh, it's unreal. Oh,
2: well. And then you can try them stuffed because they put them and they bake them with shrimp and scallops and a little bit of garlic.
4: Riding along in my automobile, my baby
5: beside me at the wheel and playing the radio
4: with no particular place to
0: go. I've been coming down here since I'm 23 years old. That was only last week. I lied, but I didn't lie about when I came down, and that's true. 23 years old. It was a completely different location when I saw it then than it is today. And the good news is They've come full circle because when I first came down here, nobody was really thinking about the environment because everything was so plentiful, everything was robust, everything was everything. And then they had to come to grips with the fact that it wasn't sustainable. It wasn't going to last forever. And much to their credit, a number of groups and families and organizations got together and said, if we don't fix this now, we won't have a community, let alone an environment. And one of those projects is something called the Asupatoma it's the Turtle and Nature Conservancy, otherwise known in my book as Las Tortugas. <laughs> and joining me now, the director of the projects there, Monica Cervantes. Thank you for joining me.
6: Thank you so much for inviting me.
0: I mean, there are different kinds of turtles, of course. I, I remember going down in Costa Rica, uh, mm-hmm. in Tamarinda, to watch the leatherback Yeah. Yeah,
2: the turtles. amazing. Oh,
0: my God. To watch them late at night with infrared cameras, and you're just so quiet. To watch these prehistoric creatures crawl up on the beach and and lay their eggs, it is truly a life-changing experience when you realize the process. Exactly. But, you know, this location, where we are now in Los Cabos, you have a lot of turtles.
6: Yes, we have a lot of turtles. With
0: different kinds of turtles. Exactly. Tell me.
6: A few years ago, we had a few letterbacks also, but for all the develops and all the pollution and everything, so... Sadly right now we don't have more leatherbacks but fortunately we have a lot of olive ridley that is the species that we have in that in this area they are amazing also the leatherback is the biggest sea turtle on on the world and the, this olive ridley is a smaller one but it's beautiful also and we have a lot of them
0: I'm going to remind you of something that happened probably before you were born. When I first came down here, you'd go to the local stores, and they were selling, like, turtle cream, and right?
6: A lot of things.
0: Bad news. Yes. Right?
6: Yes, a lot of local people a few years ago, they are very common to eat caguamas. They call them all the species, all the kind of turtles, they call them caguamas. And they love to eat it. In the 90s, nati- it nati- starts all the law to regulations and today it's not
0: allowed. It's one thing to say it's not allowed or it's forbidden or there are regulations. It's mm-hmm. another thing to enforce them. Exactly. And How do you do that? How do you make it economically unfeasible for someone to do that? It's difficult.
6: Yes, it's very, very difficult. We have to fight every day, with uh, sometimes with the local people because it's like, uh, they are very, it's common for them. It's like, a, I meet Kawama, it's like a very common, my, my grandpa, my mother did that, so I have to do that the same thing. But
0: You have to break the cycle. Exactly.
6: We have to explain them why it is important for these beautiful species. We have to explain them they are in danger of extinction and we have to tell them. I think the the important thing is Talked with the people.
0: Well, speaking of talking with the people, you're working a lot with the schools.
6: Yes, a lot. A lot. We have, we receive, uh, our season is between July and December, and we receive a lot, a lot of local people, 7 a.m. and 4 p.m. every day for release to give talks and explain them like uh, pollutions. We just not talk about the sea turtles. We talk about a a lot of different kind of things.
0: Well, you have to really talk about the cycle, don't you? Mm -hmm. Because if people can't connect the dots, they won't understand cause and effect. Exactly. Now, speaking of talking to people, what about the visitors to Los Cabos? Can you work with them? Can someone come and hang out at the conservancy with you?
6: Yes. They they just have to send us an email to us, to asubmatomahotmail.com and everybody is welcome to that camp for releasing. We start the release in September.
0: And by the way, when you see the release, it's the cutest. (laughs) Oh, my God. They they take them out on the beach and they exactly. and they're like I, a- I'm doing the sound effects now. <laughs> as they kind of like kind of right out there on the yes. beach. Right? By the way, it's Asupmatoma, which is A S U P M A T O M A, and the website is.
6: Uh, Submatoma, we have a fa- uh, Facebook page. In that Facebook page, it's a Submatoma AC. You can follow us in that in that page.
0: But how do they get in touch with you? Uh,
6: in uh, by email or Facebook because we are working in the in the page. We don't have we have one, but it's very old, and we are working to the new new data and everything. I got so you. that's why we have or the
0: come, Facebook. Or come right out to our website, and exactly. <clears throat> We'll get you in touch. But when somebody comes down here with their kids, yes, now you have an opportunity. Yes. Right. And the kids must love it.
6: Yeah, everybody, kids and adults, everybody loves the turtles. I think it's a unique experience when you when you see these beautiful little turtles. You just release them and you give them the this very exciting thing. Some people just crying because it's 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 very amazing. It's A very, very beautiful experience. It's beautiful. Are you
0: tagging any of the animals? Sorry? Are are you tagging any of the turtles to be Uh, able to track them at all? No,
6: no, no, no. Right now, no. Before, uh, my director did that before for the different kind of projects for investigation. But right now, we don't have uh, a lot of money to, to put these tracks. But we hope that maybe in a few years... We can, we can do that again.
0: <laughs> How many turtles are we really talking about here?
6: Ooh, the last season, we collect uh, around 1,300 nests. And each nest have, in average, 100 little eggs. And we are talking about sometimes they hatch around 80, 85%. When we collect them and take them to the nursery, we have this average eighty and 85%. 80, right,
0: so, so they're hatching at a rate that survives at about eighty-five percent.
6: Exactly, right? hatch. And then,
0: how long do you keep them before you release them?
6: Uh, no, for keeping, we the general ideas. We patrol every night. We collect all the nests that we could. We take them to the hatcher. After forty-five days is the time they time to to develop and everything. They hatch after these forty-five days. And immediately, when we just count it, because we take all the data, all the statistic things, we release them. We can take them.
0: Okay, now I have to ask a stupid question. You take them out of the beach, you release them. Mm -hmm. Where do they go? How far out? Where's home? Sea to the sea. But how far out are they going?
6: Uh, We have to. We have the hatch, uh, maybe like uh, forty meters for the for the sea. But when we are releasing, we just have to put it maybe five, six meters to release because the sea turtles need to smell and felt everything all the sand because it's, it's the first time exactly and, and they have if they are gonna be females they are going they are coming back to the same beach to nesting again. Hello and welcome to Alaska Flight
3: 438. We'd like to tell you now about some important safety features of this aircraft. The most
1: important safety feature we have aboard this plane is the flight attendants. Please look at one now.
0: Audible.com has more than 150,000 titles and virtually every genre. So check it out for yourself. Sign up today at www.audiblepodcast.com slash travel today to get a free audiobook and 30-day trial. My next guest knows a little bit about this place. Even though he was born in Mexico City, we forgive him (laughs) because he moved here and has been here ever since. Oscar Ortiz, wildlife expert, photographer. I mean, when people come down to Los Cabos, most of my friends are coming down to hang, just to hang, yes. right? But there's so much more to see.
4: Oh, way more to see. Um, Los Cabos, perhaps, is, is the, uh, the the tip of the pencil that it can ride like a 1,000 miles all the way from here to the border of uh, San Diego or Tijuana.
0: I mean, when you think about the wildlife here, and I'm talking about the sea life, it's not just sharks. It's different kinds of sharks. It's not just whales. It's different kinds of whales. It's everything.
4: Definitely. Um, our ocean right here is, uh, is the youngest ocean in the whole world. It's the, sea just, the Sea of Cortez. The Sea of Cortez. Yeah. It's just uh, 13.5 million years old. So <laughs> in, um, in geological age, it's, it's, it's very young.
0: <laughs> well, I will tell you, when I first uh, drove the Baja Highway back in 1973, I went down as far as La Paz first and bumped into a guy there named Max Schroyer. And Max yeah. Schroyer had these Grand Banks, these forty-two-foot Grand Banks trawlers. Wow. And we just jumped out on the trawler and just went out. And it was I've never seen water that clear and that beautiful. And of course, you could have taken it all the way down, yes. but we didn't. Mm-hmm. I then came down later. But the idea that you can just you know fifteen feet from where we are right now, I'm exactly. exaggerating, maybe thirty. You've got a marina here, jump on any boat you want. It doesn't have to be a huge boat, it could be a center console. And you're out.
4: And you're out, and there, you are right there in the scenery of, like, a migration of whales, like you say, different type of whales. In the lapse of two hours, you can uh, see perhaps, like, a humpback, gray, or even the uh, the biggest blue whale uh, passing by, very elusive and beautiful and grandiose a mammifer on the planet.
0: What's your favorite?
4: The humpback, definitely. Why? He's very glamorous as he performs. That's right, exactly. Is is uh, you know the, the males they they have all the ways to just performs for for the uh, females. They sink, they can sink, they they jump, they do the uh, fluke and and tail on on the water. Well, they breach. They breach. Just imagine forty tons of weight. All that powerful animal out of the water is just like a just take your bread away
0: and of course this place has been described by the legendary Jacques Cousteau as the aquarium of the world
4: yeah uh, perhaps like that um, is it still is it still yes It's still um, um, all the population that has been like a, on the planet and and the growth of, of this area is still is still the aquarium of the world because the the variety and, and, um, and the whole marine life that is around it.
0: But there are lessons to be learned as well. Definitely. And that is, you know, once you discover a place like this, it's so easy to either exploit it and or destroy it. That's so correct. now you've got a great growth in marine reserves. That's correct, Th- yes. Explain how that happened.
4: Um, we got to be very, very cautious about the growth. No, no. Bigger is not always the best. <laughs> and not all the places they have to be the same equal like uh some other destinations for not say the name. And no, uh, no,
0: you can. Go ahead. Well
4: perhaps in the Caribbean, you know, it's been overexploded and over like a uh, massive uh develop in which is uh not all the towns have to be the same, you know, because uh growth has to be a balance between between social, uh-huh. between the locals, and not only um, not only tourism, you know, uh, it has to be equal and balance.
0: Well, my favorite word, which is often misused, sustainable.
4: Sustainable. That's, that's the word. If it's not sustainable, it means in natural resources, in the quality of life of the of the population. I meaning something is it, the equation is always chaos at the end. But
0: you know what, it all gets down I hate to say it, to money and explaining to the locals how best to use that money in not a greedy way so that it goes back to where it belongs That's otherwise you're in big trouble Hello,
1: uh, this is your captain speaking, there is absolutely no cause
5: for alarm
0: One of the things that I've been talking about earlier on the show, we talk about how you can volunteer to help out wherever you travel, and we like to localize those opportunities as well, is right here in one of the national parks. And joining me now, the conservationist for the Cabo Pulmo National Park and Community Judith Castro. Judith, welcome to the show.
7: Thank you so much. Good afternoon.
0: I mean, I love the idea, and it's not something that's new with me. We do this every week on the show. So let people know that if they're coming to Cabo, they can come and volunteer with you guys and of hang course. out and really be a part of that preservation process. Sure. But before you even talk about the process, tell me about the park.
7: Okay, Cabo Pulmo, uh, Cabo Pulmo National Park, it's been a national park since 1995.
0: Relatively new. Yeah. I mean, when you think about it.
7: Uh, 22 years. Yeah. Yeah. We were a fisherman camp and a small community who decided to quit fishing to request to the government to have a national park. That that was a big deal. Yeah, but that could happen because the University of La Paz came to Cabo Pulmo during 10 years to talk to the fishermen and talk about how important... Was the the reef and how the ecosystem is so important for that area?
0: Well, they must have decided that something was being damaged to be able to convince. Yeah, you because to, because to stop bef- fishing.
7: before that they didn't see the the damage because they, Th- they, they anchor no- on the on the on the reef. Uh, they fish in the in the reef, but they didn't see that because they didn't use a mask until that. Well, let so, me
0: let me ask you a question though, because not just here in Mexico, but in other places around the world where you have communities like the one there that depended entirely on the sea for their income, uh-huh. depending entirely on the sea for their, their, their way of living.
7: Yes. How do you convince them? It's super hard. It's really hard. But first of all, and, and this is a learning lesson for everybody and for the governments who wants to open more um, natural protected areas, is people need to know what they have. We didn't know. So as soon as we knew... We get in love with the reef, and it was really hard to change. But we didn't have another economic alternative. Well, that's the thing. Yeah. It's
0: it's one thing to tell the the, the opium growers not to grow poppies, but you got to give them something else to do.
7: Yes. So we didn't have that until the university led us to try to take people to dive. But at that time, the reef was almost dead. So we needed to take care and recover, the, the reef needed to recovery. So now... But that wasn't going to happen overnight. No. It took more than 10 years to, so, okay, to so start to see that. so what did those fishermen do during that time? Oh, my goodness. It was really hard. They they keep fishing, but not in the area of the park. They had to go farther, and they had to use more gasoline to go farther and less fish because the, the fishing was... Uh, was too bad, so it was really hard. But because and, and there
0: is an economic I- impact here, because not only does it was out. an
7: economic impact. Oh yeah, but, but, but and really the price bad. of
0: the fish had to go up.
7: Yes, and 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 I remember that it was really hard for us. And at some point, we without maybe we made a mistake because we didn't have enough income, we didn't have uh, enough jobs. But now, after it took long time, but now we can say. What we did, we did it right.
0: Right, but if truth be told, you're not just the conservationist. This was your family.
7: Yeah, it's my family, and it's it's well, we we was we were born there. It's our job or our task to take care of our environment. Uh, after we knew it's so important for the planet, for us, for our economy, for our children, for the rest of the planet. So we need to do it.
0: All right, so now let's go back and and track this. You made the decision, tough decision to make, tough decision to keep. Yes. (laughs) And and tough decision to survive.
7: Yes, it is. Have the fish come back. Yes, that is the most great news. After 22 years, the scientists, uh, they did the research to see that there's more than 100% biomass now than 22 years ago, now it's Cabo Pulmo. Cabo Pulmo is called the the most uh, robust marine reserve in the world because the recovery is is incredible. The sharks are back, the big fish are back. The it's it's amazing. You have to see and to and fall he, in love with Cabo Pulmo. And you Pulmo. cannot fish there. You cannot fish there, and and we have a lot of respect for for that area. And now we live out of tourism, because we have a fish that is live, that we can enjoy it. We're not taking that fish. We're keeping that fish for you to go to see and for the rest of the world to go to see, and that will give us more money. Than,
0: than you would have earned from fishing. Yes,
1: mm-hmm.
0: exactly. Huge lessons to be not only learned, but applied. Yes, <laughs> it So is. if somebody comes to visit the park, uh-huh. they can tour it. They can. They can take a tour.
7: Yeah, sure. There's uh tours for snorkeling, for diving, kayaking. And
0: of course, the diving rules are you leave everything where yes. it is.
7: Yes, because we need to take care of the reef. Keep going. So we have rules, strict rules about how many people can use every single place by day. So we cannot pass. So you, that.
0: you basically have a moratorium on the number of people.
7: There's. Okay, we, we don't want a mass of tourism. We want the tourism that ha- is respect, that has respect for, for the environment, for the reef, and tourism that can follow the rules that we have to keep the reef. And because it's, it's great to have that that reef, to have that kind of fish, the amount of fish, and the amount of people who come to enjoy it. So we, we better take care of of it. So um, So we have... Strict rules, and some people get angry if they cannot go the day that they so they decide to, make, to go. You have to
0: make a reservation. You
7: have to make the reservation, and we have a number of divers for the for the day, so we cannot do more. So,
0: so you become, in a sense, a role model for other locations to follow because you were able to turn something that was almost impossible into something that's actually living and breathing and and working.
7: Yes. Um. We are I'm, I'm sorry, we are I think we could be an example for for the rest of the world uh, with but also with all of the of the learning lessons like the economy alternatives. of course. and and also you you can you cannot declare a natural protected area if you don't have the people involved they the have local to be people. invested.
2: I'm repeating we're not in Kansas anymore.
0: You know, there's so many terms in in the travel and tourism industry that get me angry because they're either misused or misleading. One was, you know, years ago, ecotourism or sustainability or farm-to-table. Well, my next guest sort of pioneered some of that farm-to-table stuff because he started with a farm, and his name is Enrique Silva. He's a local restaurateur, but he's also the owner of Huerta Los Tamarindos, a farm. Correct. How long have you had that farm? Since 2002. So, 16 years. 16 years, correct. And what are you growing out there? Uh, we grow um,
5: 20 different varieties of heirloom tomatoes plus the cherry-type tomatoes. Uh, we do all kinds of greens like kale, sweet chard, tatsoi, bok choy, different kinds of lettuce. you always growing kale? Always growing kale. Two different kinds, the Tuscan kale and the Siberian kale.
0: Wow. Yeah. Because now, of course, it's on every menu. Mm-hmm. Yes. Exactly. So, how did you figure this out to to have that experience out there? Well, it
5: started uh, because uh, 22 years ago, I opened tequila restaurant downtown. I was uh, my background. I'm an agricultural engineer who became a chef and restaurateur
0: by accident, <laughs> pretty much.
5: And uh, and uh, so when I opened tequila at that time, you know, this is 22 years ago, we didn't have much produce available here. So well, what was
0: on the menu then?
5: Uh, in the menu at Tequila, I would have. Um, no, back then. Back then. Yeah. In the menu. Well, we have simple things like a grilled uh, grilled fish with vegetable ratatouille. Uh, we have pasta, pasta pomodoro with uh, you know fresh uh, cherry tomatoes, different kinds of colors. So uh, you know, very spring type uh, type of pasta. But the
0: menus changed now. Yes.
5: Oh, yeah. Now the you know since uh, because of the f- the first uh, several years that I had the restaurant, it was without the farm. So that's when I purchased the re- uh, the farm. I started creating um, a bigger menu. You it, became
0: your own supplier.
5: I became my own supplier. And then it happens that uh, about six years ago, so this is about seven years after I owned the farm, I, I uh, decided to restore an old brick house from 1888. So that was the old farmhouse of uh, Los Tamarindos. And uh, that became a cooking school. I started like a cooking school. And six years ago, I started the restaurant. So the real farm-to-table restaurant. We have um, 14 acres okay, of farmland. And another six acres of a hillside, so all, all the all this right next to actually El Ganzo.
0: So you have twenty acres.
5: Twenty acres,
0: and is it all being used?
5: Uh, no, not all. Uh, many years ago, yes, because I used to do I used to uh, export to Canada and United States. So under the USDA fire organic seal, so I did that for several years until I saw a big potential in the local market. So I stopped the exportations about six years ago. And, um, and now you
0: just support the local market.
5: I support, yeah. Hot, uh, hotels, restaurants, uh, and uh, organic markets. So that's uh, that's uh, my, my new clients now.
0: Now let me ask you something about the cooking school because there are two different approaches. The one approach, which I hate, is where you go to it you watch somebody else cook. Mm-hmm. Right? And it's all demonstration. I want to participate. Can I do that?
5: Yes, of course. Actually, you participate uh, from st- starting w- uh, with the harvest. The cooking, the cooking class well, You put me start, to work. You put yeah, me to work. Yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. You, you, uh, a couple the, of knee pads the, in a basket. Yes.
5: The first 30 minutes is about harvesting and talking about organic farming, you know, how it works. You know, like uh, what kind of fertilizer we use. How what we kind do of fertilizer p- do you use? Well, I use compost, kelp, which is a marine algae. I use um, fish emotions. Green crops. So that's basically some of the you know, four different uh, fertilizers that we use. Um, and a couple other ones, but uh, the main ones are the, the four that so I mentioned. So if I want to
0: eat at your place, I first got to work.
5: Uh, no, the restaurant. I got to harvest. <laughs> well, you harvest is you do the cooking class. If you're just going for, <laughs> for a lunch or dinner, you don't have to do that. No.
0: But the cool thing is you probably do want to do it, because if you can understand the process, then you value the product. Yeah. Amazing. Actually,
5: when you arrive, you know, for just a lunch or dinner, we offer you a walk in the farm. So, and uh, so that's, you know, so you're getting, you know, in
0: touch with uh, what we
5: do more than just eating.
0: Because yeah, it is more than just eating. Oh, yes, a lot more. Because without understanding what you do, there would be no eating.
5: And then, if you have time, we have bees. So we take you where we do, uh, honey. we had bees for honey. Now we're talking. And then we have chicken stew.
7: You've been listening to Peter
2: Greenberg Worldwide. Catch us each week as we broadcast from a new location somewhere around the world.
0: If you like Ion Travel with Peter Greenberg, you can listen early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus in the Wondery app or on Apple Podcasts.
2: Catch every episode of 60 Minutes, America's most-watched news magazine show, as a podcast. Hear in-depth investigations across politics, news, and entertainment on your schedule. Listen to 60 Minutes ad-free on Wondery Plus.
1: A story of betrayal you would struggle to believe if it wasn't true. Listen to Blood is Thicker, the Hargan family killings, wherever you get your Podcasts.